Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. The Practical Guitarist Podcast is brought to you by Great Lakes Guitar Pickups. Great Lakes Guitar Pickups provides fantasy tones at prices a practical guitarist will love. Featuring top-notch construction, attention to detail, and a fully custom product, if you can dream it, Great Lakes Guitar Pickups can probably build it. Follow them on Facebook at facebook.com slash Pickups. Are you a regular listener? Why not? David here reminding you of all the ways you can participate in the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Subscribe using your chosen podcast app. Review us on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, or Google Play. Find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash practical guitarist or on Twitter as at practguitarist. Support the show. Merchandise is available in our Threadless store at practicalguitaristpodcast.threadless.com and donate to us via Patreon available at patreon.com slash practicalguitarist. Reach out to us directly via email at questions at practicalguitarist.com. Hello, Jim. Hi, David. Um, before we start this episode and before we get deep into things, we want to go ahead and take a moment and just kind of um, recognize that we're doing this episode on the uh, the evening of Kobe Bryant's death. Um, obviously not a musician. Uh, influenced music in a number of ways because there's a whole like set of artists that were interested in um, the sport and mentioned him by name in the last 10, 15 years in hip hop music and things like that. Um, and we just wanted to take a moment to recognize his passing, his daughter's passing as she was on the, the, uh, helicopter flight with him, her friend and you know, the whole thing. Uh, it's, it's terrible situation. Um, hopefully by the time this episode airs, uh, we'll have more details about what's happened there. Um, if for anybody that's, you know, connected to sports or, interested in sports like this is a this is a pretty sad day in a in a real big mess so let's take a moment here and give them a moment of silence and then we'll get started with the episode well so lots of things have been happening we're in we're in post nam time yep. right yep um and uh actually i don't want to i don't want to start off with the nam topic um, actually, what I want to start off with is talking about Rick Beato's uh, video about string gauges. Yep. Um, I think so. I want, to, I want to first preface: if you haven't seen the video, check it out. It's actually a good video. Um, it, mm-hmm. it, it, I don't necessarily agree with the findings in from a certain perspective. I, I, obviously, what they're saying is true, right? Like, there's no doubt about that. Right. Um, I think there are some misunderstandings about the results and i think there are some misrepresent uh, some minor misrepresentations there um but i think those minor misrepresentations add up to big questions right so jim do you want to describe the the video for our listeners yeah so what happened is uh um rick beato dave amarado um some producer i can't remember his name it's not because he's important i just can't remember his name offhand and uh rhett shull were there and what they did was Rick and Rhett um, went through guitars um, from gauge 11 all the way down to gauge 8. 
And then what they did was they played same riffs, um, you know, in the different gauges. What I found interesting about this video was, and this is this is a point that Rick made, and he actually made a follow-up video today, his live video. He referred to his, his last video. He wasn't say he said he wasn't saying don't use tens or don't use elevens. Because the video came out like, oh, you shouldn't use it. You know, a bunch of people, of course, shout yeah, out. They, oh, man, they, they, they were saying you shouldn't use these videos. And that's not what he was saying. What he was saying is instead of doing one thing, you can do another to affect the tightness of the low end of your um, your tone. So what they were doing was showing how lighter gauge strings don't push the heavy tones as much, therefore tighten up lower notes in uh, lower registers. Um, so he wasn't saying that's the only way because obviously it's being done and has been done by several artists use, who use uh, heavier gauge strings and don't use that. Um, you know, they, they get their tone just fine. I think, so this is why I, I interpreted the video differently and I didn't, I didn't mean to think that he was saying you, you should do this. Right. But what I, what I get from it was like, here, we're going to do this test. And it was very much from weighted from the side of this is a Rick Beato. I know, I know something you don't kind of wink, wink. Cause he makes it clear. Like he's been using light gauge strings for a very long time. Right. And they make it clear in the intro clip right where they're all sitting around and they're talking about it oh, yeah. and so then he goes on to show it you know and they do this demonstration and yeah. it's it's like well you know yeah we can hear the sonic differences but but yeah. it's very much like yeah i'm doing it right kind of that's that's the way I, I saw it was like yeah, yeah okay I took, it, I took it like this so he had been so obviously having watched the whole thing and, and then watching the follow-up but even yeah. before the follow-up um having watched it he was like at bam we didn't want to talk too much about Nam yet, but at Nam he had run into uh, um, who's the guy Friedman, Dave Friedman. Yeah, Marty Friedman. And Dave, not Dave Marty Friedman, Dave Friedman. <laughs> Other Friedman. <laughs> the the the, the uh, amp designer Friedman, not the good right. Friedman. I mean, yeah. uh, not the musician. Anyway, yeah. so he was talking um, to Dave Friedman, and Dave Friedman said, "Oh yeah, you can just lighten up your gauge strings." And Rick Beato had always played eights, and that was his things, except for certain guitars. We plays nines and acoustic guitars, which like me, he plays 12s or 13s. So I'm a nine guy and I, I have been thinking about going to eight and a halves or eights for a while. And uh, the, the reason isn't because of what um, a lot of people think. And this and Beato is the same reason I'm looking at going. As we get a little older, our fingers don't tend to want to work as hard and it, it, it hurts. Um, and so it's it's a little harder to do bends and do all this other stuff. So lightening up the strings. And they even talked about how Stevie Ray Vaughan lightened up his strings later in life because he was having some problems with his hands. All right. And then all he right. would work towards uh, and a lot of I've heard a lot of musicians say the same thing. That's they'll that's start the, off on lighter gauge strings in the beginning of a tour or whatever, and then they'll and then they go up to a heavier gauge set middle. And Jeff Beck is notorious for that. He's talked about it several times in interviews, how they start off with nines, and by the end of the tour, he's using nines or, or tens or elevens. Right. Um, in Steve Ray Vaughan's case, I've heard that said, oh, yeah, he he ended his career using tens. Uh, that's not based in any real point of fact, because there are people that are very close to him, that were very close to him, his brother included, um, that claimed that they wanted him to 
and that he did for a bit, but ended up going back to like like 11s or 12s partway through the tour because he he was not comfortable with with the feel of the guitar or whatever. And that was the same thing. They actually put a different neck on number one and then he made them put the original neck back on it um, because they were trying to get away with like not having to, you know, deal with all the headstock breaks and stuff that number one's gone through over the years. Um, so when Fender pulled that guitar out to do the, uh, the crazy reissue thing they did uh, about 20 years ago, it's probably 15 years ago at this point. Um, they, they pulled that guitar out and they measured it and it had tens on, or, and no, it had 11s or 12s. I can't remember on, on it at that time, which it was strung up and put in a vault that way, which is pretty crazy when you think about it. Um, I don't think the strings were actually, cause I'm, I'm trying to remember the DVD. I think the strings were just wrapped and like it was stored with no strings on it, but it was stored, you know, it's like stored in a climate controlled environment, all the whole thing. But, um, yeah, so it's an interesting concept. Here's, here's part of what, what I take away from this video, right? So like, if you listen to the clips, what you'll hear is, um, I think they do 11s, 10s, 9s, and 8s. And the yep. 11s and the 10, the 11s have tons of bass, right? Um, to the point where they're almost muddy. Um, and they're running now, you got to remember they're running everything through a Marshall TSL, which is yep. a fairly bright amp. Um, and it doesn't have, it's not notorious for having like a lot of low end clarity. Right. Um, if you put 11s through a, through a Fender amp, it's going to sound really different. That's what I was going to say. Uh, 11s through, say, a Super Reverb. Yeah, that's going to sound, it's going to be Stevie Ray Vaughan territory, like big, yeah. fat, low mids and yep. big, fat, low end. And it's going to be fairly defined. Um, yep. Whereas then they went down to the 10s and the 10s were like woolly, but they weren't. They were a lot more defined than the 11s were, especially in the low end territory. The nines had really great low end definition and they had um, they, they were getting significantly more clarity in the in the high end. Right. Um, and then, of right. course, you go down to the to the eights and it's all high end. It's like upper mids and high end. So the, here's the thing that they miss out on this video. What they don't talk about is the fundamentals. Right. So around 400 hertz, which is firmly in lower mids, right? Or low end. I, I consider low end to end about 250 hertz. Um, 400 hertz is significantly affected by going from 10s to 9s to 8s, okay? Um, and they just completely neglect this as part of their conversation. The guitar, yes, it is a harmonic instrument. There's a lot of high-end harmonics that go on that help reinforce that sound. But if you don't have a fundamental, you're not going to cut through it's just not going to happen. You're going to hear a bunch of noise, but no actual fundamental note coming through. So my whole thing was like, I think nines and tens are where it's at. I think nines sound great for, you know, if you're trying to do the tube screamer without a tube screamer thing, where you need like a lot of low end clarity going on. Um, I'm thinking about styles like funk and I'm thinking about like um, country and, you know, maybe some more like, heavy metal type stuff where the low end isn't, it needs to be more defined than it does big. Right. And, and where tens shine is if you don't want to have all that top end going on. So like if you're a lead player, you might want to look at tens because you don't want to be razor blades. You can think there are some, and they mentioned a bunch of examples of lead players who played like sevens and eights yeah. and Frank Zappa was one of them. Um, and I believe he played sevens or seven and a half. Yeah. And you can definitely hear it in his playing. That's how he got that razor blade sound. Um, 
So I, I think it's – they wanted to make out like there was – I don't want to say they wanted to make out like there was a superior choice, but they felt like you're going to get more clarity if you're doing this and that. And and I really think it just depends on what you're doing because there's so much more choice going on there um, from you know, amplifier to speaker and all the other things we talk about in the tone pyramid um, that are vital to that that end result that I think your strings matter, but I think your strings matter more from the perspective of like a feel thing. Um, cause you can, yeah. so like they, even they said, you could supplement, you could throw a tube screamer in your signal and cut off all the bass. Right. Actually, um, in the follow-up, so there were two follow-up videos, Rhett Shaw did a follow-up yeah. and, uh, Rick Beato did a follow-up. And interestingly, Beato actually mentioned our, he didn't mention our tone pyramid, but he did mention, um, what we have in our tone pyramid. Yeah. Folks, if you don't have a tone pyramid shirt, you need to get one. Check out our, our uh, yeah. Teespring page. But that's not Teespring. Or not Teespring. Um, what is it? Um, I don't even remember. It's on our Facebook group. It's in the announcements. Go look. Yeah. Anyway, we we have a, a t shirt for that. And what I what I find interesting and funny is he mentioned the speaker directly. As a matter of fact, uh, to Friedman he was talking about how a lot of uh, the choices at NAMM, of course, you got to remember, it's all loud at NAMM. Sonically, I don't think it matters that much, but he was talking about how a lot of people were using the wrong cabinets for their for their amps to, to express how they wanted them to feel. Yeah. So, well, I mean, the cabinet, we've talked about cabinets on the show a dozen times, and it's, and one time in particular in recent memory, but I, but I, I absolutely agree with him. I think so. Like, all right. So you, these guys are showing you like you, you bump down your strings to eights or nines, and then all of a sudden you got all this low end disappearing, and you got all this high in clarity. You could do that if you have tens by by switching from B thirties to greenbacks, or from you know greenbacks to creambacks, or you right. know to a celestian blue if you want to get up more upper mids or yeah and they yeah. even mentioned throwing um some eq in the in the mix and then and then changing out your speaker cap. well not even so just not even just that i mean even going from open back to close back is going to have a massive impact on what oh, your yeah. end result is Ooh, um the difference between running a box amp and a fender amp. yeah yeah like that level of difference and can you picture that if you had a box or a fender head and you were just swapping exactly. back, uh, close back? I mean, the, the, the possibilities become virtually limitless at that point. Oh, okay. um, So uh, the other thing that I took away from this conversation about, about strings is like I watched the comments and I we actually talked about it in our own group. And people get – I mean they get pretty defensive oh about their, their string choice. Not in our group so much, but but on in the comments on that group, it's like they get super defensive about it. And Jim, you and I have done testing. We did testing for the show right. um, of, of strings. And we know that, you know, hey, in general, the differences are minute. Right. Um, I've done testing prior to the show between nickel and um, conventional alloy and all that stuff. Um, yep. And the one thing I actually really liked, and I, this is part I want to focus on. So they so they had their little powwow in the, in the beginning of the video discussing, discussing this because I didn't live through all this time. Right. Um, I've been the, the entire time I've been a guitar player, it's been nines and tens. Everybody was nines, tens. And then if you were down tuning 11s or 12s, right. um, and they're talking about like back in the day when like everybody was using sevens and eights 
Yeah, so I, I, I want to talk to that because when I first started playing in the early 70s, when I first started using electrics, there were a lot of people using eights. Eights were, were pretty much the common thing. And uh, so it was, it, it's been, I'm, just, I'm not really sure when nines became like de facto, but it almost became like, like, because uh, if you think about it, Eddie Van Halen used eights, two and down a half step. And so I, I, I sometimes wonder when did nines become popular? And I'm thinking it's because there was that whole heavy metal thing in the 80s when so many people were playing um, uh, balanced guitars, you know, the the, um, the Floyd Roses and stuff, that they were, they had a lot of aggressive playing going. Because Ingve Mopsteed uses sevens or eights, right? Ingve's, a, Ingve's an eights guy. Yeah, so... He's the one, and I don't think I don't remember seeing EDH playing eights. I thought he was a nines was, guy, but um, I can remember I can definitely attest to Ingve playing eights, and that's absolutely mind boggling to me. That guy's using eights, but um, yeah, but you I, can I, hear it in his sound for sure. Uh, that's there's no there's no doubt about that. But um, and I know Tony Iommi played light strings. Well, but he did because uh, because of his his disability, his finger. Yeah. yeah. I, is that disability if you injure yourself? I don't know. I don't know. Um, but yeah, so that's that's the the whole you know news there. Like, um, but you know, Billy Gibbons what uses sevens? Yeah, you know, seven. Frank Zappa used seven and a halves. Um, <laughs> Jimi Hendrix used a, a a rather unorthodox set. I mean, yep. Uh, was it like nine to thirty eight or something? Yeah, um, it was weird. It was a heavier bottom, or I mean, a heavier top and lighter yeah. bottom. Yeah, Which well, but that kind of makes sense it. because his pickups were upside down and the magnets were not readjusted. So he would obviously be wanting to use heavy, you know what I mean? Like to get the same right. kind of response, he would probably have to to mess with the gauges. Um, yep. And I think that's more close to a balanced tension set from him too. And I remember reading that from Roger Mayer actually mentioning that Hendrix's guitar strings, he kind of stumbled on the balanced tension thing because of the, the, right, uh, the string gauge upside down pickups or the, the backwards pickups. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the funny thing is this this kind of directly relates to another thing that people don't talk a lot about, which is which is um, picks and pick material, and uh, actually pick thickness is or or I would say malleability is is more important than thickness because I've seen some I've seen some pretty thin picks that are harder than what I play. Which, well, while you're while you're going in that direction, Billy Gibbons uses a peso. Yeah. Brian May and uses he, the six pence, you know. Yep, and yeah, that's what I was going to say. Brian uses Brian May uses the six pence, which they only mint for him. Yeah, right? they, he. Well, they. All, I don't think they still mint them, but they minted him a truckload. That's so what he'll say. never they run they out. Minted him a bunch, right? Yeah. So that they could, they minted him because they they were out. They of have the, his face and the queen on it. They have, yeah, <laughs> which I thought was funny. But anyway, um. So if you're looking at uh, uh, that, uh, don't think uh, before people get this preconceived notion before we jump into this. Don't think that just because you use a thick pick, you need thick strings. That's not. 
that's not what we're about to say. No, 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 no. no there's no correlation there whatsoever. But what I was going to point out is that um, some some really unorthodox like uses of picking and and the the plectrum thickness, like uh, Paul Gilbert, he uses like right. like lights, right? Light, light yeah. picks, and and, and Eddie Van Halen movie. uses lights. Yeah, what's like a Fender? What would be the equivalent of like a Fender light? And the reason why Paul Gilbert did it was because he wanted to make a conscious shift away from doing all the shred stuff. And he needed something to slow him down. So he started yep. using lighter gauge strings and he started using thinner picks because it forced him to like stop and think about what he was doing. Yep. Um, and uh, I mean, I know I, I know people who use really light picks to play really aggressive forms of music. And it's because this allows them to get their hand going more wildly and yep. not have as much, you know, craziness going on. Um, I'm I'm really conventional by today's standards. I mean, I'm tens and really big, fat, thick picks, which seems to be kind of the norm now. Um, maybe I should switch. Um, no, I'm, I'm that guy. I'm like, yeah, everybody else is doing it. I shouldn't do it. Um, right. Yeah, no, you're not going to follow that. I, uh, so as you know, I use uh, well, I use one millimeter. I don't know if that's thick, but I use a millimeter and uh, I use a small pick, as you know. Um, yeah, you and, use the Jazz Three. Yep, and yet, uh, and I've gone to using this uh, this little Ernie Ball thing. I can't. Uh, oh, okay. Prodigies. These prodigies. But anyway, so I so I use Jazz Threes and prodigies. I've been using the prodigy more. Uh, I'm not sure really why, uh, but I do like the way that it it sharpens up on the end when I get to uh, when I use it. But um, what I was going to say is. I'm the same way. Nines and one millimeter. You know? All right. And so I'm probably using a little bit thinner strings and a little bit thinner pick. So did anybody see the Floyd Rose guitar? The, the oh, new, the new yeah, Floyd Rose is, guitar. Now, I, I. So did you see uh, Tim Pierce's video on it? Yeah. With with Floyd there. Yeah. Yeah. I. I all right. All right. So look. <laughs> Floyd Rose makes great stuff. Um, I've seen their bridges on guitars before, and they've always had done immaculate things. Even when they were licensing bridges, it seems like the license stuff was decent. Um, yep. And I want to, I want to say that, like, I don't think, I don't think the product they're putting out is bad, but I think it's ridiculous. I'm, I'm just wondering. So, so what this says it works. But I, I can't. I'm help sure it does, Jim. Snake oil in there. I'm sure it does, but but here's the problem: it doesn't fix the problem. You can't play any other guitars. So if, if so, the the Floyd Rose guitar, the the new one that's come out, it's got a hump, right? That actually covers the pickups. It doesn't go over them, but it but it um the, the way that it's concave is so the pickup never actually sticks out beyond the hump. And the idea is that if you pick, you're never gonna get the pick too deep into the to the guitar's body and have more more pick hitting the string than needs to be necessary right which okay um but truthfully the pick should never even extend to the point where it could touch a fret right. and this is not higher than the frets because then the guitar would be unplayable it wouldn't it wouldn't work um so it would seem to me yeah go ahead so, I, i'm gonna tell you how i would fix it so here's, how I fix it. here's the bigger problem right 
So now everybody's like, oh, yeah. So like, you want to learn to play fast, you buy these Floyd Rose guitars. And it's like, well, yeah, but it's a crutch. You, right. you need to learn to do it for real. Because because just because the body's in the way doesn't mean that you're going to adjust your technique accordingly. I mean, you're going to switch back to another guitar and you're going to stick the pick all the way through the strings, you know. Um, and for strumming, you kind of want the guitar to make the, the pick to make more contact, depending on what you're doing. If you're doing the little triplet right. things and the metal stuff, you don't necessarily want it to. But um, anyway, Jim. I, yeah, I was just going to say when I when I was doing that, when I was getting hung up on the thing, it's because I was using I was using longer, bigger picks. Like you said, I was doing the strumming thing. I went from acoustic to electric. And so I thought you're supposed to have a big, big amount. Yeah, because it's I mean, that's part of the acoustic sound, right? What you do. And then all of a sudden, somebody goes, no, you're supposed to choke up on it and have a little pickup. I would never have to use that Floyd Rose thing because I would never hit that thing because I only have like this minute amount of pick that sticks out. Yeah. I mean, well, that's that's my point. And all I do is minute movement of my index finger to get a little more or a little less out, out of the. All right. Of, Here's my pet peeve. I've had people tell me. I don't play strats because the pickup in the middle gets in the way. Gets right. in the way. How much? I'm How not, much? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna swear. How much pick are you putting through the strings? Right. Like seriously? <laughs> I mean, I mean, what? <laughs> are you playing with a Dorito? I mean, I know. Oh my gosh. Are you? Are you? Um, I can play directly Santana? over the string. The over play the pickups. Gigantic thing that he fuses. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I play. Yeah, like, uh, like uh, Carlos Santana. Um, yeah, that huge triangle. He uses thing. he uses the giant triangle, and actually, he's yeah. using. I think he's using uh, medium sized triangles now, because uh, yeah. he's been getting them from V Pick for a while. But anyway, uh, he has a he has a pick deal through them. Um, yeah, but uh, he's a he's endorsed for everything. Um, he's endorsed. He's he, the he only has, Dumble endorser. <laughs> is it? He's the only person I know that's endorsed for like his his shaving creams. Yeah, but, I mean. <laughs> But what I'm saying is, how much pick do you have out? It should be less than a less. I would say less than a centimeter. I think a centimeter is pushing it. I think I think it needs to be less than half a centimeter or something something ridiculous like that. I don't have a ruler in front of me, or I tell you. Um, I don't know. That's how much I have sticking out. How yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, that sounds about right. That's, that's it. And and actually, I try to think. That's what I do. I do this to get more, and I do this to get less. That's it. It's a little movement. I, I don't know. And if you have problems with this, like the the easiest way for you to learn to do single note lines like that is to act like you're pushing the string into the into the body of the guitar and pulling the string away from the body of the guitar with the pick in a very minute motion. You don't want to actually like push the string. You don't want to have the pick sideways. You know what I mean? But it, but you want to have it like maybe there's a slight angle. thirty degrees or something um, instead of instead of. 90 it would be like 60 degrees so you just rotate a little bit but that's it's not like with troy grady sitting there with like um like that's uh, exactly what i'm referencing though i mean <laughs> um so if you don't know who troy grady is and you want to learn about that go check out his stuff he's got a great it's, series it's of stuff awesome. called cracking the code and they are excellent um, awesome videos people if you really want to see how somebody yeah you want to get into the mechanics the strings, like the truly slow-mo he does this stuff that's just we've talked about it before a long time ago, but he does these videos where he takes it right down where he slowly but and he's got all these angles. He actually has a camera 
get the yeah their um, GoPros and mounts to the guitar. Yeah, yeah, he mounts right to the fretboard. Mm-hmm. He doesn't mount the, the the musician only has so much fretboard because he, there's a great big camera sitting on a on a U-bolt thing. <laughs> I love when he gets to the players who have like super unorthodox styles because there was a dude yeah. on there that was like playing arpeggios and alternate picking them, like sweep arpeggios yeah. but alternate picking them. I'm like, how? How does this guy even do this? Like, and then they show in there, but but he does mention he's like he's like I do hit you know the peak of my ability by doing this, and yeah. he's like I cannot go any faster than than where I'm at right now. And it's funny to see some of their reactions when they see their their styles. Back. Yeah, because then they so look at it and they're God. like, I didn't even know I was doing that. Like, <laughs> um, Joe Stump was like was doing some stuff, and then and then he he played it back for him. He's like, I do that, you know, like I didn't even know. Um, yeah. which, you know, people like Paul Gilbert are great teachers because he's taken the time to examine what he does. And that yeah. is so much of guitar playing. We don't stop and think about what we do, you know, like yeah. the first thing that, that the first lesson they teach people now is like when you play guitar and you play single note lines, like you knew all the other strings. Nobody was teaching that when I was, when I was starting, you just did it because that's what made it sound best, right? Like you figured it out on your own, but yeah. If you've never examined how you do it, you're not even going to realize you're doing it. And that's why it wasn't taught, you know, because nobody had thought to think about, you know, that little stuff. Um, Anyway, so the reason I actually brought up the Floyd Rose guitar is because of Floyd Rose's deep connection to metal music. Um, And Floyd Rose, even though they they make premium parts that go on pretty much every brand's guitars. um, I mean, Gibson buys Floyd Rose parts. Uh, Fender buys Floyd Rose parts. Pretty much everyone at some point in time has bought Floyd Rose parts. The only company I can think of right now that doesn't have a Floyd Rose equipped guitar is uh, uh, Music Man. Yeah. Um, So here's where here's where this conversation is going. So I sent Jim a. Actually, before we talk, well, let's go ahead. We'll, We'll talk about it now. Let's, we'll do it because I, I, I want to talk about what I want to talk about. I thought we were saving this till later. Yeah, we were, but I think because we, we're, we're on NAM, it's a perfect segue. So, um, the, the, I've noticed, and I was watching Ola England's video where he did the, the walk around of, uh, NAM in the morning, which is actually really interesting and, and kind, kind of killer because you can hear dudes who got up really early to come down and play. And they're just like, they're just playing and you can hear them in the background and stuff, just, you know, ripping it up and they're really good players, but that's yeah. not what they're going to be playing in two hours. You know what I mean? Like it's going to be the straight up Nam affair. Um, yeah. And I, I, I enjoyed that, but he goes around and he, and he looks at all of the metal, the metal flavored guitar companies, the, the boutique guys. And he himself has solar guitars, which is, it's been built by several different companies at this point. But they're a quality piece, and I don't know anybody who said that they they own a solar and it's bad. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk about this because I, I first off, some of these guitar companies um, you may not have heard of, and I think they're worth noting because they're doing things that I mean really is pushing the design of the instrument in totally different directions. Um, but also because you see these designs. Coming out from Ibanez and from ESP LTD and from um, Kiesel. I mean, let's face it. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I own a Kiesel. I love Kiesel. But I'll tell you right now, Kiesel rips everybody off. That's how they, they've been doing it for years. 
Um, I I do think right now Kiesel has the most unique guitar lineup they've ever had, but that's not saying a lot. Um, But Kiesel is up there. Right. Let's face it. They're they're on the cusp of being one of these brands right now, which is really crazy to me. Um, But yeah, so the point is that these designs go into Schecter and all these other companies and they like kind of get filtered and then they come out and they're, they're homogenized. They're a little bit yeah. more for the masses, you know? And so you could see a blues player playing a Schecter in some cases. Um, but yeah, yeah so it's not necessarily some of these other guitars. <laughs> I, I want to stress something when it comes to that, because I, I really do. One of the things that, that uh, the, these companies that we're going to mention with the exception of, uh, of uh, Kiesel is most of these companies aren't worried about getting outside of their target audience. No, their, their target audience is, uh, or, or audience is the Ola Englands and fa- his fans of the world. The the um the people who use this type of, of equipment. So we're gonna we're gonna be talking about gear that does not you you're not gonna see local blues player playing this guitar no. because they're not targeted towards them. They don't care. They don't want that person buying. All right. So the so I I provided Jim with a reference list. And and the first guitar in the references is obviously Strandberg, but um, I want to I I don't really want to spend a lot of time talking about Strandberg. It's not because Strandberg's good or bad. I think Strandberg is a very unique company, awesome. but I don't really consider them to be outside the mainstream at this point. Like they have eclipsed that. The second that Sweetwater picked them up, um, and everybody was clamoring to get their guitars. You know, they they're waitlisted and everything else. These are no longer, um, like super boutique you know, guitars. Now they're great guitars. I, I, I know people who, I mean, in fact, we've got people in the group who have them. Um, yep. and I would totally I think, uh, buy one if they weren't imported at the price they were. Um, but you know, it is what it is. So just so you know, Strandberg's played by bands like, uh, periphery and stuff like that. Um, Fuzzmonger has one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Jason. Has yeah. One. Jason. Um, so, this is the the first one. I've actually played these, right? So this is an Aristides. Um, yep. Aristides is, I guess they're from, I want to say the Netherlands, but their guitars are all composite. They're they're basically plastic, some yeah. sort of resin uh, plastic thing, right? I thought that they were resin over wood. No, am I am I correct? No, there's it's no. Totally resin. I don't think there's wood involved in these at all. Um, and I played one and actually I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised by how great it was. Um, now the one I played was, it was like some special order that the guy had ordered with his wife's name on the back of it. And then his wife died while it was being built. So he sold it to guitar center cause he couldn't stand to look at it. Um, and I have to say it was an exceptional guitar. I, I actually, it was in the store for a while. I, I, I went in. I almost played it one day. I and we actually uh Jeff and I were going back and forth about it. And I was in there a couple months ago and it was still there and I was like, "Nah, I got to get it get it down." Cuz cuz it's it's just too it's too like weird of a thing not to play one. Um and dude, every bit as good as like the Music Man guitars and the other high-end like modern guitars that they had. Um if not better. Um I I don't know I mean, I don't see Aristides as being a metal brand. I know a lot of metal guitar players use them, but 
um, they could definitely hold their own doing any genre of music, really any modern genre of music. Um, and but, but by large, they have a Floyd Rose on them, or at least the model, the uh, the 060 that's referenced in this article that I sent to Jim. Um, now, these guys, the, the next brand we're going to talk about, uh, they're they're from Poland. So once I say that, you probably know who they are. Um, we're talking about Mana's guitars. And I now those I played one of those. You have what? What was it like, yeah. Jim? Because I haven't played one. Um, it was okay. So I'm not a metal player, but I I liked it. How would you I, compare it to a Schecter? I don't really feel. Um, it, I thought it was nicer than a Schecter in the in the build quality and everything else. But I also thought that it had a um, had its own voice. Um, uh, that was what's the word? It was tighter. Um. Had a had a better feel all around. Not to say that Schecter's are bad guitars because they are not. Well, the reason I reference Schecter is because Schecter has several models that are very similar to yeah. a lot of the Manus designs. Not yeah. all of them, because Manus does headless guitars and stuff too. Um, yeah, the Manus I played was a six string, and it had no, uh, it had a head. So, <laughs> but as far as I was concerned, it was a really nice guitar. You could play anything on it anything on it it was really good. now and, and a lot of these brands actually do have conventional offerings too um mm -hmm. like i mean i wanted to play on main has like the i guess it's the ikea series or akila series yep. which is like basically uh, a modern that's interpretation of a strat of a strat the, yep. the hydra the, type I played. the hydra is basically what what kiesel ripped off uh <laughs> it looks now i don't know if they it, i don't know who came first but the hydra is just like a kiesel vader um except it has a small extra chunk of wood underneath the bridge um yeah, I, I, I i'd love to get my hands on a mayonnaise I'd, I'd like to play one finding dealers for these companies is like next to oh, impossible it's impossible i i ran into a used one and uh i played the qm6 the kia 2m6 i think mayonnaise also does some, an import line or something um i'd have yeah, to look into know. that i think they do it's definitely not that so, um, but that price point out <laughs> now, here's, we're going to get into some of the, uh, some of the stuff you might be familiar with. Like there's Legator, um, which Legator makes some cool stuff too. They're, I would say they're more like a Jackson in a lot of ways. Like they're more conventional in that sense. Like their body styles are a little bit more Jackson. Like, um, I would say the American heritage is definitely like in these guitars more than say mayonnaise, 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 mayonnaise. It's mayonnaise, mayonnaise, <laughs> it's, mayonnaise. There's no AI. At is it is it mayonnaise? Is that it's mayonnaise? I can't pronounce mayonnaise. these damn names. Like it's ridiculous. It's, it's uh, mayonnaise. It's my it's my white American problem. I can't announce. I can't uh, pronounce names that do not. Yeah, we are definitely. They're not, not Steve uh, and Jim and Western Joe European and, or Eastern European. Um, so. I'm looking uh, and and I'm actually just browsing reverb to look at some of the legator designs. Um, I mean, they do a tally style. Uh, yep. They do kind of a washburn style. I think I'm going to have to go. To the Obviously, website. it's the ninja um, that uh, washburn sets them it's apart. Style. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. The, the ninjas have uh, the. Uh, uh, the fan frets. I thought um, 
Yeah, a lot of the guitars have fan prints. They do a ghost headless too, which is yeah. actually a pretty cool looking guitar. And if I recall, you can get imports of these, I think. They're they're twenty six hundred for a seven string custom shop. And yeah. then the six string is I think fifteen hundred, but I don't think it's custom shop. Yeah, so, the eight string is uh is a little more money. Um anyway. <laughs> So there's Kiesel, right? And they and they're listed here. So that's what I'm saying. Like yep. they're on the cusp of becoming a boutique brand for this stuff. Um, yeah. Then there's Ormsby. Now, well, obviously, she's out of Australia, right? Yeah, and we've talked about Ormsby on the show yeah. before because of the eight string, eighteen string guitar they built for Jared Dines, which is mentioned right here in the top of this article. Yeah. Um, if you haven't heard about Ormsby, yeah. So, all right. So here's what I heard about Ormsby. They're, they they do the 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 Goliath GTR. I've heard the fan fret on those sucks. I've heard that that it's like single notes only because the the fanning is so steep, it makes it hard to chord. Right. Um, I also have heard sense. that they're great guitars, and and they do a I guess they do a Goliath um, import for like eight or nine hundred bucks, which is really really good. Yeah, um, super cheap. But they do insane like custom level work too. Um, yeah. Go to their website so we can talk about it more in depth. But um, I think at the end of this, we should we should talk about which brands we think are not influencing the market very much because their designs are so off the wall that they won't touch them. And I think Orms yep. might be one of those. Um, now the next one that we we were looking at is Comparison. The comparison. Now yeah. I've seen Comparison before. They're uh, they're available through and they're they're Japanese. They're available through Sweetwater. Um, yeah, I am itching to play one. They just got comparison at Gearfest last year, so they didn't have a lot of them on display. Um, I I actually want to play one because they're firmly like here we're gonna make a Kramer kind of thing, um, yep. but slanted and you know they they do their own design changes to it. But like I'm yeah. looking at um the one that they have here is the Courtney Cox signature, which the has Courtney like. Cox. 27 frets or something or 28 frets and yeah and she, she so those there's no neck pickup it's a middle pickup <laughs> she's yeah she was the she is the um person that plays for iron beat yeah right? not courtney yeah. cox the actress that was in right. uh masters of the universe or what was was she the one in uh friends yeah she cox? yeah um, she was also in scream but but she, i remember her fondly for masters of the universe jim her and dolph yeah. lundgren Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's music no related. Comment. They had that synthesizer <laughs> in the movie that allowed them to go through dimensional portals. Um, oh, moving on. Uh, well, <laughs> what we, a we, movie, the, the new, the new Barbarella. Yeah. But anyway, so yeah. Um, and I know that comparison. So like, Killswitch Engage was at uh, Sweetwater last year, and they were playing comparison while we were there. That's where I, yeah, that's where I grew up. And, Not uh, that I was at Sweetwater, but that's where They I sounded really good. I don't know what they were yeah. using for, you know, backline, but they, their guitars sounded freaking awesome. Um, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I want to try their stuff. They're doing more conventional stuff than they used to. That's what, that's right. what I was seeing them when they were walking around the booth. So they're, they're, they're a brand to watch for. And actually I think their, their guitars are, um, probably more conventional on the list than say like Ormsby, um, not as conventional as Kiesel, uh, not as conventional as Legator. Um, so, and then there's 
this one I've never seen or heard of, but it's, it's called Skirmish. Yeah, and um, they've got some weird looking stuff. The bodies are strange. Like this one I'm looking at here almost has like a flat back end. Looks like a like a Stratocaster with a flat back end in the in the butt of a telly almost, like where the arm contour is at. Um I'm gonna click over and look at some of their designs. I mean, they have outrageous tops. Uh it looks like they do a headless model. Um big surprise, you know, all of these guitar companies are doing some sort of headless model now. Um, and uh, there, I mean, just looking at the details on some of these guitars, they are freaking outstanding looking, but they are very, very expensive. Here's one for $4,800. Um, and I think these are actually kind of like more like a bossy concepts guitars in some cases where the guitar is built to, um, uh, it's built to be ergonomic, like to fit properly. Actually, I wouldn't be surprised to find out that these guys aren't helping out with the bossy concept stuff. Cause there's like one guitar here um, called a Shoggy seven, seven single cut headless multi-scale guitar. And it looks just like a, um, a bossy concepts idea. Um, so yeah. And I mean, they even do, they even do some semi hollows. But yeah, I think they're I think they're firmly in the Abasi Concepts type of guitar. These are definitely unorthodox. But to say like three thousand, four thousand bucks for one of these guys, that's not really out of the realm of possibility. Um, some of their guitars yeah. I'm seeing are two thousand. I mean, um, again, this is like another one of those things where they're probably influencing a portion of the market, and that's how you're going to get your hands on something that's you know, in the vein of Skurverson. Um, but they look a lot more popular. I see them. I, there's like a bunch on reverb. Yeah. So, um, to not having not seen these guitars in the wild, is kind of wild. Well, yeah. That, I like the, I like the, um, uh, the re reference in the uh, article. It says those looking to hear these guitars in action need to look no further than Czech Republic based gentleman, the gentleman. Yeah. Like the gentleman. Yeah. Gentleman. That's awesome. Um, uh, they look interesting. I like the I like the style, um, but nobody cares what I think. Well, this next one, Dunable, Dunable, I, yeah, Dunable, yeah. And so when I tell you the names of the bands that are playing these, if you're not familiar with the bands, it's not going to mean much to you. But if you are, you'll understand why. What these these are: High on Fire, um, Power Trip, and Russian Circles. So yeah. these are, and I like how they describe it here in the article. The Sasha Dunnable says they have a no bullshit approach to how they build guitars. They're right. very stripped <laughs> down. Actually, the one I'm looking at reminds me of kind of like an old um, Yamaha uh, Revstar with a single pickup. Um, very like classy appointments, but you can tell this, yep. this guitar is made for like doing the big heavy like riffing stuff. And I could see me playing the asteroid, heavy metal, right? Yeah, I could definitely see me playing the asteroid. Although, the, the, this is one of those those guitars where the headstock goes. Jeez, oh, what were you thinking? What is the headstock? I'm looking. Up? I'm looking. Man, some of the freaking wood choices they're doing on this stuff are insane. Oh, it's incredible. The guitar itself looks amazing, amazing, and then the headstock is just. Their headstock is yucky. Yeah, but uh, well, for that particular model, for sure. 
It doesn't and look for twenty seven hundred dollars. I want something more than a. Yeah, case. don't give me a don't give me like a Gibson S headstop on, on a V. That's kind of crazy. Uh, some of no. these guitars, I don't like the look of them. Um, yeah. Um, I don't know. I I actually have a coworker messaging me right now. I hope he listens to my podcast. Go away. <laughs> um, I'm going to ignore him. I just told him to go to well, bed. I, was I, just, I literally just I told was... him to go. I just told him to go to bed. Like you just told him to go himself. <laughs> I'm I'm about to like honestly. Um, <laughs> okay, so the last guitar set. By the way, um, Dunables, Dunables. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, are built in America, and the last one is Carillion guitars. Yeah, and I've I heard of them before. And, and I've heard of them. They make some pretty unorthodox designs, like really longhorn style stuff. Yep. And, um, yep. They're pretty pretty well respected. Um, lots of frets, lots of uh, lots of cool stuff, lots of designs. That's where I know them uh, from. Lots of interesting uh, guitar wood choices. I, I think that. Uh, oh, Slipknot. That's where I know them from. Even I know them from Slipknot. So anyway, Carillion, um, they are, let's see, where are they from? They're England. England. Surrey. Which Jamie Ooh, Phillips, Surrey. Uh, if you recall, we had conversations with Jamie Phillips. Um, he, he, I think he mentioned them as well. Uh, he's somehow not affiliated with them, but like knew them and uh, it's a whole other thing. So he's got his own line of guitars that he's trying to... Uh, Oh, he I, he said he's building, and then he says, "But I don't build for anybody yet." And he no. showed us some insane prototypes of stuff that he's building, and we're like, "Why? Yeah. <laughs> They're well, not good enough yet, in my opinion." Uh, well, I'll take one of the seconds. I mean, you sent me a B stock. I'll be I'll be more than thrilled. Um, I I love this. Uh, uh, the what is it? Enigma. The Enigma is pretty cool looking. Wow, look at that thing. Holy sheep. Tell them in a second. Holy sheep. sheep. Um, incredible looking guitar. The Enigma. I could definitely see me playing one of those. Although I don't know what the price tags are. Apparently, you can choose your headstock too. You can choose different headstocks on different uh, guitars. So, don't like the headstock? Change it. The Plagueis. That looks like a cool guitar too. Their headless guitar is called the Plagueis. And look at what they did. Are you sure it's not called the Plagueis? Plagueis. You know, Plagueis? which is a character from Star Wars. Oh, is that what that is? It's a Star. It's I a wonder. Star Wars I wonder. Um, look at their. Is that how you spell it? I don't. Know. That's why I'm going to look. Star Wars I, dude, I gotta find this out. That could be a Plagueis. That could be Plagueis. Darth Plagueis. The wise. Darth Plagueis. No. Please the why. Uh well, debatable. That could be. De debatable. Yeah, it might be. Um I think that's a great looking headless design. Wow, that is a I've never seen a headless design I like like that. That's <laughs> Yeah, I would buy that. Yeah. It's got some fancy hardware on it too. Oh heck it. Wow. You asked, I listened. After All right. 4 years of pulling off, I decided it was time. The Darth Plagueis is the There you go. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. I just threw in Darth the Plagueis is the culmination of years of prototyping and R&D behind the scenes. Oh, I got to say, you did a good job. Well, it's going to get killed off by the Palpatine model. 
Yep, the Palpatine's <laughs> coming soon. Yep, and then uh, and then the Ray right yeah. after that. Yep, Ray's gonna take care of me. So there's our walk down um, Dotson memory lane. Well, so the reason so I want to say. The, yeah, go ahead. the reason why I wanted to walk down that lane is because there's this like whole underbed and we've I think I've mentioned on the show before of like metal guitars that if you're not clued into that community, you have no idea they even exist. And these right. guys are are like setting the trends for, you know, all of the major metal companies, uh, like the people that, you know, market guitars to these kind of players like Ibanez and and uh, Jackson um, and ESP and Schechter and I mean largely yes there's some emulation going on there but I feel like their designs are so out there that even like they almost like they're making designs because they know they're not marketable for the big the big guys to like take a look at it um, but I wouldn't be surprised you know we saw this in the 80s where Charvel and stuff all these small companies were kind of running around the big guys and then all of a sudden there were all these startup small companies like Valley Arts and stuff like that, that um, took these ideas and ran with them. And then we kind of had a similar reaction in the 90s. Well, the 90s kind of went back the other way because you had guys like Slash playing less balls again. Um, but I, I could definitely see like Ibanez and all these other companies getting more out there and more wild with their guitars. But the, what's funny is that Ibanez is doing both at the same time, right? So they're doing the the Iron Label series at the same time as they're doing the AZs, which the AZs are no, I mean, yes, they're Sir knockoffs, but they're notably more traditional than what Ibanez normally does. Um, and so I think it's a real interesting paradox there that they have to, to kind of walk both lines. Um, and I think Ibanez is sort of like resting on its artist roster a lot now. And so the, the reason the AZ exists is because they wanted to get people like Mark Miller over on their label. And so for them to do that, the best way to do it was to attract them with an instrument that they would actually be interested in, if you know what I mean. Um, so I don't know. It's it, it's clear to me that uh, these are, you know, interesting paradoxes um, that are going on in the industry. I I, I granted, I think the the uh, long term stuff is going to be, um, you know suitably more like distilled for the masses so you're gonna look at strandberg and i go yeah you've got a great design but it's just like a um who's the uh i'm steinberg like in the sense yeah. that it's so radical that i don't think you're gonna get widespread adoption and i don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it um because no. obviously like that's a piece of the pie too and I guess if you don't try to grow beyond your market, like that's really a good idea. But you had right. Steinberger in the eighties who he, he couldn't keep up with the demand to the point okay. where like it destroyed his company. I mean, he could have been a PRS, but he couldn't provide guitars fast enough and couldn't get the costs down. And that was right. why he ended up where he was. Um, and so, I see like Strandberg, they're not going to keep their costs down. Like they're basically just going to sell $1,500, $1,700 guitars, um, import guitars, no less. So, and the reason why I, I take issue with that, and we've talked about this on the show before, but um, the reason why I take the issue with that is like, it just doesn't make sense. 
unless it's there's a very specific feature you need, you can't charge a $700 premium for an import. And that's what they're charging. And before anybody says, no, it's not a $700 premium. Look, the necks are CNC'd, okay? That's how you do what they did with the Endura neck, right? It's a CNC design. There might be a little hand shaping there, but ultimately it's 99% done CNC. Right, right. The body is CNC. The It's it's a bolt-on design, I think. I want to say they're bolt-ons. Um, and I could be wrong on that, but I know that, I, I mean, the guitar is not that functionally different than other instruments. Um, you're talking about the Strandberg, which, which model? Not any of them. They're all, they're all basically the same. I mean, they're basically the same in the sense that they're constructed very similarly. Um, and their pickups, yeah, their pickups are premium pickups, right? So that's, that's fine. Um, but I look at like Ormsby does their, their import, um, headless guitar. Let's see if I can find out the price of that. Yeah, they're, they're headless. Or I mean, they're both. And the Strandberg. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, the Goliath would be their. Um, That's what I'm look, uh, looking at a boat. Yeah, well, no, I'm talking about the Ormsby Goliath is the, uh, would be the um, competitor. And they do those in runs. They come out of China. I believe it's China. Or, it's China or Indonesia. Um, they do have stock on Reverb think i'm looking um, <laughs> well they say here's the remaining stock it'll in all case I, I just find this amusing because i can't believe it fits or strandberg i'm sorry what in a in a les paul case i'm not even sure how they think this fits because it doesn't look like it fits oh like yeah that. dude i i've seen people do some of the silliest stuff case wise um like putting telecasters in in uh in les paul cases and stuff and it's like how I don't even know how it that doesn't fits. fit. It doesn't. It doesn't work. And this guitar is obviously does not fit in this case. It. I mean, it's yeah, of course it's not. So anyway, all right. Yeah, so uh, the Goliath, the, the Goliaths I'm seeing, and they're listed as brand new or excellent. These are resales, and they're sixteen hundred and sixty dollars. I don't recall the prices being that expensive to get on the run when they do them. Um, so basically, what they do is they announce a run, and then you can put in your bid, and it's right. and it's like. I, I seem to remember them being like eight or nine hundred bucks. Now they might have been more than that. They might have been a thousand dollars. Okay, so now they're running thirteen hundred and thirty dollars USD for a six string, thirteen hundred and eighty dollars USD for a seven. For the Ormsby. Yeah, for the Ormsby. Um, they are totally upfront about where their guitars are made. They're made in Korea, um, which you know we know Korean manufacturing is a little bit more expensive, um, yep. and they're. And I'm looking to see what kind of pickups and stuff they have so we can talk. They're their design pickups. So, yeah, okay. So, Strandberg's getting a little bit more money. And I think the problem is with Ormsby, maybe that Strandberg's setting the price. But you can't tell me that you're not paying a tax to get that Endura neck. And that you're not paying a tax to get the, the odd body shape that Strandberg does. That, right. that that's just false. You're getting these guitars from the same companies that build PRS and they build, you know, <laughs> that's what get. it's like, Oh, well suddenly because they're doing something special that makes the guitar price jump, you know, 35% of 40%. No, you're paying a premium because it's something special. And I just don't want to pay that premium and I'm not going to pay that premium. Um, so I'm not trying to disrespect anybody who likes Strandberg guitars. I just don't see the allure of spending the extra $500 for a 
for a guitar that you could get for a grand. From, from Ormsby? Well, not from necessarily Ormsby, because well, we you just can, said Ormsby $1,330. Yeah, I mean, you can get Kiesel for like 1200 bucks, and it's made in the USA with premium yeah. pickups. And it's made to your colors and specs. You know, I, I well, I don't know. Some people would not consider their pickups premium pickups, but yes, exactly. It may, it's made to your specs. Like, you're not limited to the color choices. The only thing you're not going to get versus that is the Endura neck. Um, All right, so... <clears throat> have we beat this one into the into the ground? Yeah, I think we're. I think it's time to switch gears. Maybe we'll come back to right, the so end of the episode or something. I wanted. I wanted to talk about costs because I, something hit me today. So I, I, like I said, I watch a lot of documentaries, and today I was watching a documentary about a. Uh, this guy is over in China, and what he does is he goes to um, these Chinese places that sell the little things you'd never think about when you're buying stuff. Okay. And what I mean by that is he's going there to look at stuff like um, screws, nuts, bolts, lights, and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And s- small, like, switches and, and um, like, if you're putting a pneumatic together, you need an, an L bracket to, you know, to turn the pneumatics or to, um, or if you're using the oil-based stuff. <clears throat> so... He and two other guys are going through to buy stuff to build things back in the state. So they're buying little parts, right? Piece parts. And they make the they make the um comment while they're there. They said, well, um, they were talking about you know how you'll be uh you'll you'll see a uh, um you'll see in uh Home Depot or Lowe's or whatever, somebody will be driving a little forklift, right? And it has a light on top. And the light will be spinning around to warn you that the that the thing is coming on top of the beeping that it makes if it's backing up or going forward, right? Well, they were buying these light fixtures because you can you can buy them stacked, right? You can have I am going somewhere. Yeah, it's like red, yellow, and and green, and so on and so forth. You can make them diff- make different so- noises depending on what they're doing, and uh, that way, if you've got a, a machine down. Um, and you're in a big factory and you've done this stuff. And I and I've said before, I work um for a company that builds capacitors. My daughter actually works for another company that builds capacitors now. Yeah. And um uh, she used to work for that same company. She's moved on to another one. But anyway, so um same thing. They've got machines that have those things on them. And these machines actually come from overseas over in the east, because you you can see the the writing in a lot of the instructions and and maintenance stuff is in is in uh, Korean or it's in um, Chinese or whatever. So um, anyway, what I was getting at is that that um, these guys were talking about how oh yeah, if you bought this in the states, it would be this much because it would it would be made of metal and this would be made of a heavier plastic. And this would be made of this and it would be made by people, which got me thinking about. And then he said, and they didn't have to do any R and D; they just created it. And so the the thing I was thinking about was was this, you know. So we we often talk about costs that go into guitars um, or in pedals or anything else. And the thing we forget, I think we often many of us often forget is that there are people um that, that different companies have different sizes, right? And um, some companies are doing engineering. They're, they're 
modifying things or making changes. Uh, some companies are have got marketing teams, right? And they're paying marketing teams. Um, and when it comes to guitars, you've got artist relation teams that are out there. They're they're out there, you know, patting the backs of and and you know, you, you want to say something right that now? That is definitely where Strandberg's money is going. Yeah, and so if you're if you're one of these companies, right? You're that's an overhead. Yep. So the the I'm getting to this because of all these these companies that build um, uh, replica uh, reproductions of our favorite guitars. Our being yeah, they can make uh, them dirt guitar, cheap because because they don't have any of these companies. right. If something gets engineered, they just reverse engineer it. They just they just put it into something. Yeah. Um, it, and uh, they um, they can come out with, um, oh, look at me. I, I've got this guitar. It looks just like the one that Angus Young plays. Or it looks just like the one that, that um, uh, Eric Johnson plays. Or, you know, who pick your favorite artist. Um, it looks just like that that exact same thing. It's, it's the exact same thing. But it's not. But it is. And, and a lot of the things are the same thing. Um, and then um, the problem that, that you fall into when, when you buy from these folks is that we don't continue the artist relation. We can't, at some point, somebody has to say, We've had, we have to cut costs. Where are we going to cut costs? We're going to cut costs in engineering. We're going to cut costs in parts um, or yeah parts and, and so or um, labor i was doing yeah so i was doing my video on my um my telecaster tonight for nick bonk yeah it's gonna happen he's actually doing it well <laughs> all i gotta do is sync up now i gotta sync up the audio on the phone. yeah but here's here's the i, I kind of want to redo a part of it but i'm like ah just get it out there um I cut my finger. I show people in the video, so um, I, I cut my hand pretty bad. Anyway, so the the um, the guitar has it has a chunk taken out of it. I really didn't think about the, much of it. Look at the, you know, there's there's the the finish is gone, the wood is exposed. Okay, so this is I'm I'm just making a point here. So this is a Squire Affinity Strat, right? Or I mean, Telling, right? Yeah. So I, I'm looking at the wood closely because I'm like, oh, this. Is Wow, this I, I what a piece of crap! <laughs> it it looks like somebody took a bunch of Mac sticks and just glued them all together. Uh huh. Uh huh. It it literally looks like that's um, pine, Jim. That? Yeah, what's that? That wood? Um, uh, that yeah, but it's not just like pine. fiberboard stuff. Where they, yeah, it's kind of like fiberboard. I'm like, are you serious? This thing is yeah. a hunk of crap. Yeah, they used to I veneer mean, them too. I have better wood in my cutting board. <laughs> it's like, I cannot believe that it's actually just a piece of garbage underneath all that pretty um, finish. Yeah. Because the finish looks great. Yeah. And the wood under the But if you veneer. They veneer the wood, front and the back and then the edges are not veneered. And that's and, – and nobody looks at the edges. No. If – you can hide a lot. So – that that's what I want to get to is I mean it, if you don't care about that it's fine you don't have to care about that you don't have to care about a lot of things but but the point is 
that when we look at um, Fender, we look at Gibson, we look at, um, uh, well, in this case, Transburg, right? We got to remember that, that for them to, that these guys are sending Ola England. Oh, uh, no, right? no. Ola is not a Strandberg endorser, no. Okay, who is it? Oh, no, he's, he's got Solar, right? Yeah, he's got his, his own color. Yeah, who's, who's, or who's, uh, Strandberg has. But anyway, my point is they, they have to send somebody over there to pet their egos. I mean, it, periphery. Uh, yeah, whoever, whoever's, you know, endorsed, yeah. Sarah Longfeld is one of their endorsers. And they put guitars in the hands of people to get them to demo them and do YouTube videos and that kind of stuff. Like, that's all a cost. I don't think the cost for them is as high as I think they're making a bank right now. I don't think they're actually spending that much on artist relations because I recall Sarah Longfield actually saying that she she's bought the guitars from them that she has. But, but uh, well, that that's not. But there's the there is the the um, sourcing of parts. You gotta buy, yeah. You gotta pay somebody to source parts. Yeah, and and I don't know. I don't have enough information about how they do that. But I will tell you this: Toman has a, a headless guitar now that's like three hundred bucks. Um, that is very much in the same ballpark uh now different hardware obviously but agile also and i i linked you uh agile oh agile has yeah. they have headless guitars as well um legator makes one for about 750 bucks that's an import so i just want to point out they exist um right. what you're paying for is their patented neck they have a patent that's where your money's going patent lawyer and so to keep that patent, there's various things they have to do from legal requirement standpoints and all these different things. Um, yep. And I'm sure there is still some artist relations stuff going on. They still have to market their product. Uh, I don't think their marketing is that great, frankly. Um, no. But they're doing it. And they're also – they're from Sweden, right? So they have like one of the highest tax rates in the world for, for business. Yep. So that's another – whole other can of worms. Plus, a lot of their business is done internationally because they're importing a lot of these guitars from foreign foreign countries. So, it's a whole thing. Like, when you stop and you look at where they're at, I mean, yeah, there's definitely costs associated with what they're doing. I think their margin is much higher than, say, you know, ESP LTV. That's, that's my estimation. Yeah. Who, who is another company that primarily makes this money off import guitars. Um, now I, well, I don't know what Strandberg business model is. They, they could very well be selling a lot more custom shop guitars than they are their production models. But I will tell you this, uh, I'm not going to spend, and you remember I bought that Ibanez for, for over a thousand bucks. That was a, it was an Indonesian model. I returned it. Um, and it was yeah. because I didn't vibe with it, but part of it, like in the back of my mind, the entire time I had, it was like, dude, this is an $1,100 import. Uh, it's just nuts when you can go spend twelve or thirteen hundred dollars and get a Kiesel. It doesn't make sense. Um, or get you know an American Fender or whatever. I mean, there are other guitars out there, and you can buy used, and you can still get decent quality. I'm not saying Americans the be all end all here. I mean, you can obviously buy great Japanese guitars, um, and you can buy great Korean stuff too. Um, but I think, you know, you lose out features when you start going into the bargain basement stuff. Um, you don't get – like the Affinity Tele is a good example. You don't get the same bridge that comes on all their other guitars. It's an Affinity bridge. Oh, my God. And so therefore, you cannot change out parts. 
um, unless you dig around and find, you know, saddles that'll fit it and this whole thing. Um, and that's part of the reason why I didn't buy an Infinity because it's like, well, I wanted to, I wanted to do it as a project. But if I was to buy an Infinity Telly, like I'm screwed because I'm going to end up having to mount a new bridge from scratch. And I don't want to do yep. that. And I don't have a router, by the way. <laughs> yeah, so. I mean, that's a whole other ball of wax there. Um, so, I, you know, it's all food for thought. Um, try to make an informed decision. If you're going to buy, if you if you think that Endura Neck is worth the 500 buck tax, in my opinion, um, then go for it. It's probably not really a $500 tax. I'm probably exaggerating. It's probably a $300 tax. But that's it's 300 bucks, man. Like, that's a lot of stuff you can buy. Um, that's what I'm planning to buy this week. You know, it's like 300 bucks, dude. That's, you know, that's too much cash to leave on the table for me. And I don't think the Endura Neck is going to be that life-changing for me. In fact, if it is, that would be a problem because then I won't want to play any of my other guitars. It's the same problem as the Floyd Rose guitar. So, you know, it, it's a crutch. Um, I, and I say that, you know, obviously I'm being inflammatory. I'm not really, I don't really mean it's a crutch. Like if you play Strandberg's fine, I don't care. It's just, I, for me, I, I know that I, I struggle going back from a seven and six it like flipping back and forth regularly. So I try to do it all the time. So I'm used to it. Um, and I know other people probably struggle with the same things. Although I will say this, uh, now that Harley Benton's doing that, uh, that headless, which it, it, it's kind of ugly. It is $370. It's kind of ugly. But now that they're doing it, I'm kind of like, that makes a good backup. I wish they did it in a seven string, you know? Um, I'm sure there will be a seven string model. So I could just wait, I guess. Anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, we've explored the realms of like modern metal guitars tonight. Uh, yeah. I mean, we talked about the stuff that, that, you know, goes into changing. So what did you buy, Jim? Cause we we're doing this backwards tonight. What did you buy? Oh yeah. So I got this. Uh, the, he, this, 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 we're not video, you know, what? We're not a video. Not thing. yet. We need to go video yet. on this one. Soon. Right, so I got this pedal train nano. I don't know why I'm showing it because it doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> I got a pedal train nano, um, a second one so that I can, uh, make my main, um, pedal board smaller, like my other pedal board. Um, also, um, I got the carbon copy deluxe. Yeah. So, yeah. So how you like yeah. the carbon copy, by the way? Oh, I love the carbon copy. I already loved it. I did add the mod. You had, you recommended I tried the mod. So I did put the mod in and I'm using a little bit of modulation. It the, just helps um, makes things sound a little bit bigger, especially in a mono setup. Yep. Um, yep. And I, I mean, I don't know how you use your delay. If it's a longer delay, mod seems to have a bigger impact to me. Uh, shorter delay yeah. almost becomes like a chorus. Mine's a 330 millisecond, give or take. Yeah, so you're you're long delay at that that's point. That's like like long. big big stadium delay. That's the way I think of it. It's like a stadium echo. Yeah. Um, yeah. Did I I run my delays 275 milliseconds around there? Yeah. Um, which is yeah. big lead delay. That's that's the way I look at it. Yeah, mine is anywhere between 280 and 330, depending on what I'm stepping. Yeah, yeah. Um, I well, I mean, I had a I had a carbon copy years ago, and actually, the, the reason I sold it was because it didn't have tap tempo. 
that was like that was like the deal breaker for me. Um, and yeah, this one does, which is cool. I I like those pedals a lot. Um, and yours has the bright mode on it as well. Yep. So. Yep. Um. Yeah. I. I what's weird is I added the bright, then I put the mod in. <laughs> so you so you're getting the 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 smaller pedal train. And I'm yep. assuming this because you're running fewer pedals, right? Right. Okay. Exactly. Where are you gonna put your power supply? Yeah. So we talked about that. So I've got a. I've either got a side mount power supply, which I've thought about, or I've got to side um, mount, which is. Yeah, which would look. Stupid. What the hell? It would be like. It would be Jim. Like how this. are you gonna plug it in? The I plugs on the back be, side of it. I know we would have to go like it would have to like go tall. Like, back side. Jim, Jim uses like, a, yeah, exactly. Jim uses a Voodoo Lab pedal power plus. So if you're not familiar, yeah. it's like a long brick, right? So yeah. if you're gonna mount it on the side, so you're mounting it so that the the sh the smallest side of the brick is down. No, no, yeah. So it would be the 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 outputs would be on one side and uh, uh, left or right, and then the power would be left or right. Yeah, so it would have to be tall. Like, it would have to be... Yeah. Because I'm like... The ridiculously stupid. Yeah, dude, you're yeah. just going to kick I, it the whole night. No. So what I'm going to have to do, exactly. So what I'm going to have to do um, is I've got to raise it up. So I'm going to look for some uh, of those little feet, you know, you yeah. get, like Walmart or whatever. Well, I told you what to do, Jim. Um, I said, I told Jim, yeah. I said, just go get some dowel rod, drill some holes in it, yeah. countersink the holes, so you drill a you know, bigger hole halfway down, and then use uh, some yeah. self-threading, mm -hmm. self-tapping screws. And uh, th actually, I I've done this before, which is why I told Jim what to do. Um, fill your fill your holes with epoxy. Take the existing feet off, fill them with epoxy, drill the new self tapping self threading screws into the epoxy, and you're done. Yep. Like you got taller feet. Yeah. That you can make it as tall as you want it to. If you want to make it four exactly. inches tall, you can make it four inches tall. Just remember, you're going to be lifting your foot four inches to put it on there. I, I I'm going to be completely honest with you. I think those those um the Novo series when they when they pedal trained about it is like five or seven years ago they redesigned their entire line and they they went to this like weird format for the for the rails and like nothing is one rail no, no pedal fits across one rail it fits across two or like one and a quarter no yeah and it's like I know that there was a a logical engineering decision be, behind that but. By God, they just made it worse. Like they should have just yeah. left them alone. And then, and then of course now you've got the the Novo, which replaced the the pedal train mini. And there's it's not raised at all in the back, which means that no. it's I mean it's a, literally a flat board. So you might as well just buy yeah, a flat board. It's it's stupid. Um, and in this case, you can't mount a pedal. You can't mount a power supply underneath it. So it's like if you're gonna buy this board, you're only supposed to run off batteries. You can. I I can I or, bought pedals in the last two years that don't have a battery jack. <laughs> yeah, and so so it, I would either have to run them off, run it off batteries or off of uh, um, like my other one, run it off a uh, what do you call it? A one spot. Yeah, one spots are all right, folks. I'm gonna say it. You can you can I send know. me your hate mail. One spots suck. Don't they're bother. Cool. I mean, well, no, they're. I mean, they have a right. purpose. But it's not a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, all right. The fact they is do make the nicer the isolated one spots now. But the, the, yes. the when I'm talking about the one spot, I'm talking about the daisy chain with the one with the one plug that gives you like fifteen hundred milliamps or seventeen hundred milliamps. 
Um, yeah, for the whole thing, yeah, which is not really annoying. well. No, I it's not. It's it not that isolate. they're noisy. That doesn't isolate anything. Right, right. Um, it doesn't isolate. And if you ever played with any sort of vintage pedal, you're just going to be chasing your tail. Um, they're more trouble than they're worth. I I would highly recommend you use just a just a RFI EMI or is it EMI EMS whatever um, power supply like I have under my desk here, like a like a power strip. You know, and then just put that on the back of your board and plug a bunch of adapters in there because in, yeah. in all honesty, you're you're making more trouble for yourself by using the one spot. Um, and and I know there will be people on the show. I use the one spot for years and it's fine. And I listen, if it works for you, great. I I had a one spot situation for a number of years. And when I finally bought a truly isolated power supply and I plugged everything in the first time, I went what the hell have I been doing? It just didn't make any sense. Oh. So, um, but yeah, just raise it up. Like you should be fine. I, I just, they don't have any, if you think about it, the pedal power two plus is about three inches tall. So that means you're going to have to raise that board three inches off the floor. Like that was not a good design. They should have, they should have at least made the back slanted so that it was, at least a little yeah, bit, a little higher. Well, and, and I told Jim the other option was, of course, put the pedal, put the pedal power plus on top, and put a pedal on top of yep. it. Yep, that's what I thought about. Which a lot of people do that, and I think they make, I pedal three may make risers, which are basically just bent metal that you, you know, self threaded screw in. Um, yeah, but uh, I don't know. I mean, that's that's a possibility. You should, yeah, you look at that. Uh, I can do it that one. So you got that. You got the delay. I am buying a Headrush FR8 tomorrow. The um, the reasoning behind this is I we've talked about FR FR cabinets on the show a number of times. Um, I've heard from several reputable sources, some of which who are listeners of the show, have told me that the Headrush cab should be more than adequate for being able to do some FR FR kind of comparisons um i need a right. i need a wedge for playing out anyway so for 200 bucks even if it's a crappy wedge it's better than nothing um which is what, when i play with old stumpy like a lot of times I, I can't hear the monitor because there is no monitor for me um it's like i'm standing on the end and then there's like a monitor in between you know the two vocalists in the middle and i am like leaning over trying to hear yep. it um yep so I'm going to go ahead and pick one up. Um, we're going to, as soon as I get it, I, I was talking to uh, Jeff Biesiadecki. So Jeff has graciously um, built some patches for some people using the, the HXFX. Um, yeah. And he's, he's tech savvy enough. We're going to sit down and we're going to try to dial in some Kemper stuff. And we're going to try to put together some, some Kemper patches that I can use. Um, so it is kind of selfishly motivated, but I think it will be an All interesting right. discussion as to how, the philosophy for how you dial in a patch with the Helix versus the Kemper differs. Um, and when we, when we sit down, I kind of, I'm going to, I'm going to walk him through the controls and like how everything works. And I, and I'm pretty sure he's going to get up to speed with it really quick. Cause it's not a difficult unit to work with. I think a lot of people no. freak out um, way sooner than they should. Um, just like now I'm comfortable now, even if like somebody says, Oh, you're too hot on stage. I just hit and hold the output and turn my master down and it's not a complex or even difficult thing to accomplish. Um, 
Right. So, you know, just word of the wise on that. I think we're going to do that. And I think I, I'm going to talk to him and see maybe we can video some of it, um, at least the end result. Talk through the thought process of how we do it. Um, and then I'm going to use these patches. And I, I'd like to video my use of them um, so that yeah. we can kind of demonstrate. But it'll be interesting because we'll – I will probably bring my cab – and we will have my cab there too. So we will be able to actually do both at once and then kind of, we'll be able to see the difference, you know, using a conventional like small cabinet with a V30 versus using a, um, an FRFR system. And I don't see so that. This is, this is my personal impression of what we're going to find out. The FRFR is not going to replace an actual guitar cabinet. What the FRFR is going to provide is something that you can monitor through. Um, because I don't see – even the guys that I know that are real big in modeling, they're not backlining you know, wedges. Like they're going into the PA. The, 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 you know, the wedge is not there to provide the audience with anything. That is there to provide you nope. on the stage with something that you can hear. Um, you can, yep. So I – I think that's a little bit of the misnomer and, and that's actually why I kind of take issue with Friedman because they make that box. It's like, Oh, well, here's an amplifier that you, you know, you put your helix into and it just, it's a make loud box and I'm okay with that. Mick but it's the Mick loud box. It, you yeah. It's the Mick loud box. <laughs> I hashtag Mick loud box. Um, yeah. And it's, but it's, it's not a wedge shape unless you buy that specific one, they make two different versions. And the one that right. a lot of people buy is the cabinet shaped one and you're just going to point that at your calves like what um that's not the purpose of an frfr system the purpose is that you can hear it you're supposed to run signal out to the front of house and it's the same thing i see i see i saw a guy um on youtube a couple weeks ago in live performance with his power cab and a freaking microphone in front of it and i'm like you're (laughs) defeating the purpose like I know you can do that with that. That's the point of the speaker modeling. I, I, but you're but, plugging a modeler that has direct outputs and IRs. Yeah. You could just plug in. You know that XLR that you've got into the I microphone? Mean, just take it out and put it in. Everybody I, everybody I talk to is a pro, right? Like people that play out frequently and get right. paid for it. If they have the option to FRFR, they're like, we're doing the FRFR. Oh, I am yeah, taking the microphone that. placement out of the sound guy's hands. That's right. Because yep. let's face it, microphones get bumped. Um, it's not the sound yep. guy's fault per se, but it's, you know, oh. microphones get bumped and uh, they can be inconsistent. Um, and even as much as an inch distance between you and the speaker cone that you don't normally have can throw you off. Yeah. So I totally get it. And then to hear, you know, you're going to put a microphone in front of a power cab. Like that just totally defeats the point of that thing. Exactly. It's for you to monitor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and if you want to send that out to the audience. Yeah. That's what the line out. Is well, yeah. And see, even the, but, even these uh, FRFR systems, they usually have a line in and a line out. <laughs> so that you can continue to. Well, so then, then, you know, that's, that's another thing I've seen people doing lately. And uh, I think uh, that guy that, that bought the, he bought the Kemper stage and he had the Helix. You know who I'm talking about, the guy that buys all the Chinese guitars. We talked yep. about him on the show before. Um, uh, we don't need to talk about his name because I think we've had this problem before. Um, his first name is Chris. Uh, if you remember that episode, then that is that is the guy. 
Um, Chris was talking, I think it was him and I could be wrong on this. So we're not really badgering him anyway. Um, he, he talked about running his guitar out to an FRFR and then running a separate line out to his PA system. And I'm yeah. going, so wait a minute, you have a wedge in front of you. That's giving you nothing but your guitar. I, I honestly right. like lost it. I started cracking up because I'm like, what the hell is the point of that? Like, right. I mean, I, I, I honestly, and, and this is a problem I've had live. Um, I'll get my monitor mix, like the guy that's mixing me or whatever. He'll just mix like it'll be a ton of my guitar and then none of my backing track. And I'm like, wait a minute. I can't tell what the hell's going on. Like, I can't hear the fills. Like, how do I know when I'm switching chorus verse and all this stuff? Like, oh, my gosh, because right. I do count. But sometimes, you know, if I'm doing like a solo section, it's a lot harder to count. So I listen for like the drum fills because then I kind of know where I'm at. And um, yep. I laugh because I'm like, they what they think, well, he's a guitar player. What's all this guitar? And that's exactly what he would be going through. He would have his guitar cranked up and and no no other like no drums, no vocal, no, nothing coming through his monitor because he's just decided he's going to run the line out just to the monitor and a line out to the PA. And he was mad. He was he was throwing a, a hissy fit because his Kemper allowed him to do it or his uh, Helix allowed him to do it, but his Kemper would not. And, and oh, I was like, yeah. well, first off, the Kemper will. Second off, why would you want to do that? Like, that doesn't make any damn sense. Um, right. So at the Kemper, um, I have mine sitting here. I'm going to flip it around just to just to point out that this is actually possible because you could do this. Um, what you would do on the back here, there's a. So there's a main output, which is uh, there's I think a tip tippering sleeve jacks. There's two of those, and then there's also two uh, XLR jacks, and then there's um, you have a return and a send. So you would take your main outs and put those into um, front of house, and then you would take your send and you would run that out to your um, you would run it out to it, or you could run your monitor output because there's actually a monitor output. Can you imagine that, Jim? They have not not one set of outputs, not two, but three possible outputs on this thing. So, <laughs> and this guy said, well, I can't do that. Well, you can. You just don't know how to use it. Um, yep. So, and then, and then if you really get crazy, you could, you could run the spit of two at the same time. Um, oh, and yeah. That's actually four sets of outputs then. Um can we count them? <laughs> One output, two output, three yeah. output, four output, uh, 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 four outputs. The count. Um, did anybody see the? Uh, I guess it was Jimmy Fallon doing Jim Morrison again tonight and singing the. the oh my gosh! Yeah. The re the reading rainbow thing. Oh yeah, my was... gosh, dude! That was the best one he's ever done. <laughs> I cried so hard when I watched it. Cause he, uh, like I would watch him off. do a movie as Jim. Like it would have to be a comedy, obviously, because Jim Fallon. But right, right. Uh, make my day. Um. Anyway, so yeah, the the look for the headrush content. We're gonna talk about FRFRs. We're gonna get we're gonna get real dirty in them, and um, 
I know that the head rush is not the the be all end all of FR FR systems. I would say it's it is the most affordable one. Um, and I would also say that for the vast majority of people putting their toes in this water, um, most of them are probably just using wedges live anyway. And I don't know that this product really fits into that category. I think this is more for like weekend warrior, home warrior stuff where they don't have anything to monitor through. Um, I know there are pros using them, like the guy that, that Jeff was working with um, this weekend was telling me, he was like, yeah, that guy's a pro. Um, and he he's using it. So I was kind of like, well, you know, if local pros are using it, then it can't be terrible. Because, I, I mean, I've been in situations where local pros are using garbage, but um, that's few and far between. Like, I, I feel like I, I'll get enough use out of it. And it's, it's always 200 bucks for the 8-inch, which is what I'm going to buy. Yep. That's another thing. You buy one of these things, you can buy an 8-inch, you can buy a 10-inch, you can buy a 12-inch, you can buy a 15, because it's just a PA wedge, right? Um, And I kind of, I kind of like... They were complaining because the the uh, twelve is kind of bassy. Like I've seen this that said in some videos, and I had the Alto twelve, and it, I no, I had the ten, I think, and I remember it being pretty low low endy. Um, so I'm like, why buy the eight then? Well, the eight's too quiet. Why? You know, it, it's two thousand watts with a with an eight inch driver. Why would that be quiet? I I, I just I fail to see like it's going to be like a horn. If anything, it's going to be piercing, you know, yeah. and it's going to shove all that low end that I was complaining about. That's that's my thought, unless they're doing something weird um, to, to simulate that low end. But I mean, that's another that's a whole other can of worms. You do we talk about the uh, the Kemper cone? I don't think we so. didn't talk no. about the Kemper cone last week. So, oh, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We did. Yeah, yeah. We did. during the. Uh, um, during our, our uh, review of Nam, uh, Kemper Cone came out. If I don't know how in depth we got into it, so I'm gonna I'm gonna just talk about it briefly. Kemper Cone is their speaker. It's a Celestian speaker that they designed with Celestian. You can be able to buy it through Kemper. It's going to be about two hundred bucks, eh, 150, 160 bucks, and it is actually two speakers in the one enclosure. Um, it is a true high range, a full range speaker, right? And um, doesn't have a tweeter, you know, that that inner cone is called a wizard cone. And it is literally like a four inch cone inside of a 12 inch cone. Um, and I don't know. How, I don't even know. It may have a separate voice coil. I don't know. But anyway, what they were the reason they developed this thing was because they wanted you to be able to take this speaker and put it into other cabinets. Now they are going to do a cabinet, too, which looks pretty cool. It's green and it's got brown, brown corners. I thought this thing was going to be expensive. You know how much they're getting for this, Jim? 400 bucks. That's Mesa cab prices. It's nothing. I mean, in terms of in yeah. terms of a quality cabinet, 400 bucks is nothing for yeah. one by 12, especially with something yeah. super specific like that. Now, Kemper Cone is not going to make Kemper a lot of money. Kemper Cone is purely for people who own Kempers. Um, they're right. not trying to be the Line 6 power cab and create this unique product. That, that people with all kinds of modelers across all kinds of genres can use. They realize that there are Kemper users that have a need for this and they can provide it. And it's not a, apparently it was not a really expensive development project. And I think they were very interested to do it. Um, so this is why 
um, I'm, I'm talking about this. This is an FRFR, but it is not an FRFR. So in, this, in, in the traditional sense, it's not a PA wedge. And it's not designed to be a PA wedge. This is designed to do what the power cab does, which is to emulate, speak, emulate a speaker. So the idea is that you use your Kemper and you tell it, I want you to be a greenback. And then it does frequency mapping over that speaker to make it sound like a greenback, to give you the amp in the room thing. Um, and I guess it could be used as a full range system. And they were saying like, yeah, it's pretty flat. It's not, it's not a completely acoustically neutral. Um, it's designed to give you some guitar speaker flavor, but it's designed to sound really damn good flat too. So you could conceivably use this with another device. Um, but the real reason you're going to want it is if you have a Kemper, you get the speaker modeling. Um, and I guess it's relatively lightweight. Um, but I'm also talking about putting this in a Mesa Boogie cabinet. And the reason why I'm talking yep. about putting it in another cabinet is because they don't make they don't make an open back Kemper cabinet. And I really need to get an open back cabinet. And it's going to help with the dispersion. It's going to help with the beaminess. It's going to help with my aversion to, to high end. Um, and there's like a whole bunch of reasons I want to do this. But that's going to cost me some bread because I'm going to have to buy. I don't know if I can buy an unloaded uh, Lone Star cab. I think I can. I may be able to get Mesa Boogie to sell me just the shell. And then I can put a Kemper. And if, I, if not, I'm sure I can. I'm sure I can buy one and sell a speaker. That's not. That's not even an issue. Um, actually, I would rather keep the speaker, frankly. Um, but uh, that's the that's the long term end game for this is to use that to do a higher end FRFR comparison, um, like what a what a more mid range system would be. And I think Jim, you and I at Gearfest need to track down um, the ability to try out like mission engineering the the mission engineering cab the really fancy with the gemini yeah um i heard the gemini last year and if i played through it or not was somebody who was with me at nam did i play through the gemini cab i know i heard it last year and i went yeah that's hands down the best frfr i've ever heard um but at the same time i was kind of like dude it's thousand dollars and it weighs 70 pounds I mean, I mean, it doesn't yep. get more impractical than that. Uh, that's and that's the, why two by 12 it's version. the best one you've ever heard. Yeah, because it's like pull out all the stops, spare no expense, you know, exactly. um, whatever. I So it's interesting that I've heard that the F, the the head rush FR, this is going to this is going to be and kind of wrapping things up. But I've heard that the the head rush is like the best selling FRFR system, like specifically for guitar, right? And it's because of the price point. It's dirt cheap. It's two hundred bucks for the eight inch. It's three hundred bucks for the twelve inch. You can't touch a, a powered monitor for that right now. Like when when right. JBL does their deal, you can get one. But right now they're not doing their deal, so you know you're gonna have to you're gonna have to pay. Um, so. It's interesting, and this is the the what I was getting at. If you buy a JCM eight hundred, most people are going to buy a nice nineteen sixty A cab to go with it, or a nice, you know, vintage thirty loaded Marshall cab or something um, to go with it. And that's you're talking a two thousand dollar head, unless you buy the studio version or whatever. A two thousand dollar head or three thousand dollar head, depending on what you get, 
with a $700 or $800 cabinet. Now, my Kemper was two grand plus. Um, actually, mine was significantly more expensive because I got a remote with it. Uh, it was $2,700. I did not pay that. And then I want to put it through a $200 FRFR speaker cabinet. Does that not sound nuts? No, oh, yeah. and that's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's because the FRFR is just to make loud box. You don't buy it for right. sound quality. And, and exactly. in most cases, you're not even pointing it at the audience. Hashtag McLeod box. Yeah, you're not even pointing it at the audience. So no. put that in perspective. Um, exactly. One last thing. So we talked about the string video in the beginning. I want to make this real clear, and I, I want to, I want to say this in the nicest way possible. But this idea that, um, you use a tube screamer to roll off bass and like enhance the mids on a track, and they were kind of insinuating like, well, you know, they're just trying to do the same thing you're doing by lowering strings. That's total crap. I I wanted to talk about it when we talked about it earlier in the episode. I, I know I forgot. And it's in my notes here. That's actually you heard me typing a lot during this episode. Um, I was looking up things. I was communicating with a coworker, and I was also reminding myself to talk about certain things at the end of the episode. And um, when I hear somebody say like, "Oh, well, you know, you shouldn't do that because you really want to do this," like, how do you know what I'm trying to do? I don't kick the tube screamer on to cut my bass. I kick the tube screamer on to kick the mids in the teeth. You know, it's right. <laughs> it's like, okay, but you're neglecting the other part of this argument, which is the tube screamer doesn't do exactly what you're saying it does, which is to lower the bass and low mids. It, it, it does a lot more than that. It actually bumps up around thousand to 2000 Hertz. I mean, um, and actually probably more from like 750 Hertz up, you know, um, it's it's a very like almost like a wah pedal cock to wah kind of like push, um, but very you know subtly so not like you know that's overdone, um, and however you choose to get your sound, don't let somebody tell you that oh well you're doing it the wrong way, like could you imagine if somebody told Jimi Hendrix like no I don't like the sound of the distortion you're getting you you need to add an extra gain stage to your Marshall plexi. Like, what? What? <laughs> um, I mean, I, who tells these people what to do? And so I, I immediately get up in arms and I see one of those videos. It's like, well, you're doing it wrong. Or it, even if it's not really saying it, you're doing it wrong, but they're insinuating that there is a right way to do it. Um, or that there are other. Now, if there are other approaches to do something, that's fine. But like acknowledge that. Yeah. OK, so this is one way to do it, you know. Um, and I just felt like that video was very much like. Brett used to go to the studio that that um uh I can't remember his name. Um he used to go to that studio that uh who who's the channel that, that hosts that video, the original video? Um uh, can't remember his name offhand. The old guy that that does all the Biotto? Yeah, Rick Beato. Okay, so he used to go to Rick Beato's studio all the time and he used to play Rick Beato's guitars and complain because Rick Beato would always have eight and nines on him. And right. of course, Rick would be like, he was just doing it wrong. And that and that gets said in both videos, his video and Rhett Scholl's video. So it's like, well, you know, 
that that sets the tone for that video. It's like, well, clearly you know better. Um, it's just it's just wrong. It's not the right way of thinking. This is art. We paint with whatever brushes and colors we choose. And exactly. If you don't like them? Kiss our ass. Um, by the way, yep. I found out that the um, pink setting on my Philips Hue bulbs is not actually pink. It's like a purple hue. Um, and that was not a pun, an intended pun. Um, <laughs> but if you say magenta, <laughs> then it becomes very it's, bright pink. <laughs> it's magenta. My my uh, wife and I were having fun with those this afternoon. <laughs> so did you did you ever see? Um, all right, have you ever been to the Rocky Horror Picture Show? And Clearly, go, Jim doesn't uh, know me very well. What's your What's your favorite color? Magenta. <laughs> Anytime I hear somebody say magenta, that's all I can think I'm, of. I'm going to reveal a very private, <laughs> intimate thing to this, this our show's audience. I loathe, loathe <laughs> the, the Rocky, Rocky Horror Picture Show. show. <laughs> My wife is a huge fan of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And this is not because I'm doing it to uh, – Jim's pointing himself to and I'm not surprised. Um, I'm not saying this because uh, – I'm, you know, trying to be counter to everybody else or whatever. I just have never liked it. And they'd rent it on VH1 or whatever, and I would watch it and try to, like, get something out of it. And it was always, like, I was, like, I can't tell whether it's trying to be, like, a horror movie or, like, a spoof or it, it's a bad movie is what it is. But, uh, and, and I think it was intended to be that way. Um the only redeeming quality about that movie is that meatloaf is in it. <laughs> I mean, for me, that was like the one thing I was like, well, at least I can watch meatloaf. Um, and then of course they did the live, the live version of it on TV a couple of years back. Of course I had to sit through that. <sighs> uh, I just, the one they did. I can't man. Like I do not like that movie at all. It's one of my, it's one of my least favorite, least pleasurable activities. If I have to sit through it. The one they did, um, the remake they did on Fox a while back. Yes, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Oh, it was really bad. I had so many high hopes for that that it was terrible. Yeah, it was pretty, terrible. It was pretty bad. Um, well, it just showed that you can't read, you can't bottle the lightning and then try to, you know, it just doesn't work. Well, I, uh, I get why it's I popular used, today because of the like the rebroadcastings and all that. It's like you can go and see in the middle of the night and all that, um, and the whole experience part of that. My wife has begged me to go to one of those, and I'm like, that's not gonna happen. I don't want to watch it at home. About, why would I want to watch it's it? Not about room? a movie because it's not about the movie. I don't want to participate in those if antics. Right. If you're not going out, if you're going out and you're not participating in the antics or you don't want to be a part of it, then definitely don't go because. That was. I'd rather go to a kiss show. When I went, <laughs> when I went to see Rocky Horror the first time, it was oh my god, it was nineteen eighty seven. I don't know. It was it was early on in the Rocky Horror. Yeah, so time. all the traditions probably weren't in place yet at that point either. Well, a lot of them, yeah, but a lot of them had been because remember it started as a play. Yeah, and the traditions kind of got there. Then it went to a movie, so that everybody could do the things they did at the play. It kind of, that's where it grew its feet. The movie is terrible. The movie is awful. It's got them. Yeah. To sit and watch it. I don't think terrible. the play is any good either. And <laughs> and if if 
the Patreons want to hear what happened to me several um, at a couple of different Rocky Horrors. I can I can tell you, but let's just say that I used to dress as Frankenfurter, and I would go because my my um, my friends um, would go, and then they'd say, "Oh, we need a Frankenfurter." So I became part of, and then I became part of a troupe. Oh, so, okay. so we did the whole act. I I knew all the lyrics. I knew all the I knew all the dialogue. I knew the whole a thing. couple of Christmases ago, um, some friends, mutual friends of my wife and I's, got her a Rocky Horror Picture Show T-shirt, and I know they did it to irritate me, and it has driven me nuts for years. Like, why would you do that? Why would you intentionally try to irritate me? Like, for our <laughs> listeners of the show, you know how I can be. You, I'm the last person you want to irritate. <laughs> that is not a good idea. Th- that's how podcasts get started. That's how YouTube channels get started. That's how yeah. <laughs> Twitter's you know goes out of control. That's how you know it's like don't do that. That's not wise. Do not stir the hornet's nest. I will recommend that you do not do this. And I can tell you right now that the two individuals that did this, they know better. It's a subtle troll, and it's a good subtle troll because I you know it's Christmas. You can't sing anything. But man, revenge is a dish best served cold. That's all I can say. <laughs> Ice cold. <laughs> anyway. All right. I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we've been the Practical Guitarists.